Hello, welcome to the Jew3 Project Podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Fields. I'm the founder of the Jew3 Project. All right, we're live for another episode of the Jew3 Project podcast. As always, I'm your host, Lisa Fields, the founder of the Jew3 Project. And today, I'm very excited. We have a very special guest, Dr. Kimberly Credit. Welcome, Dr. Credit. Thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Thank you for agreeing to be on the podcast. I, um, I heard about you uh, a long time ago when I was in seminary. Well, I guess it wasn't that long ago. It was uh, 2000, I think, 14. 13, um, when I was in seminary and a bunch of my friends, uh, classmates were going to the Southern Evangelical Semin- uh, Seminary's uh, annual apologetics conference. And I was looking through the speakers and I was like, oh, it's a black woman speaking at, uh, at the apologetics conference. And that just blew my mind. Uh, so you've been, you've been speaking as a as a black woman um, on apologetics topics for years before I ever uh, even got into apologetics, so I thank you for blazing the trail uh, for young women women such as myself and you being a black woman speaking in a predominantly white conservative evangelical space on apologetics. I think it's amazing. So when I saw that, I was like, man, I need to connect with her. And lo and behold, years later. Uh, we connected on Facebook, and uh, now we're here. Um, so just thank you for all the work you've done and paving the way for women such as myself uh, and uh, just trying to bring exposure um, in the Black church as it relates to apologetics, and the work you've done is greatly appreciated. So I gave you a little bit of introduction, but I think it's better that you tell uh, your story yourself. Uh, so. Um, Dr. Credit, kind of give uh, our, our our viewers and listeners a little bit of background. Okay, uh, I'll start with where I am today and start to and work my way to how I got to be uh, a Christian apologist, a Black Christian apologist. Uh, I, I, again, Kimberly Credit, senior pastor of Mount Zion Baptist Church in Wooten Township. Um, I'm a cohort director for a doctoral program in transformational preaching. Uh, to which uh, in the design, I incorporated a course for Christian apologetics at the doctoral level. Uh, And so I'm very excited about that. So our students will be studying Christian apologetics and learning how to produce sermons um, that uh, have apologetics in mind to foster deeper um, discipleship. Um, Well, years ago, I didn't grow up in the church. I uh, certainly had Christians in the family, but in my particular home, uh, we didn't discuss Christianity or any other religion. Surely we had that old big Bible on the dining room table uh, and, you know, we dust and make sure that it stayed clean, but we didn't open it. And so um, I didn't grow up with any particular religion. Later on, after praying to God uh, about a particular thing as a young girl, and not having, in my mind at the time, not having God answer my prayer, I then decided to reject him and deny his existence and uh, became a self-acclaimed atheist. 
And so um, it, it's really there where, where it started. And so I would do everything I could uh, to, um, to belittle Christians um, and to um, disintimidate them on their doctrine. And then later on, as I would discuss Christianity with even some of my Christian family members, I tried to dialogue with them in terms of how they came to Christ, why they believe the Bible, etc. And it was very disheartening because a lot of times it's just like, well, you know, he's just in my spirit. You know, you just have to, you know, know him. And I wanted answers. And so I would badger them, but at the same time, I was looking for answers. And so to speed up, uh, when I actually met the Lord and gave my life to Christ, immediately I became a Christian apologist. Now, I had no idea what that term was or the ministry or the field of scholarship uh, that it was at that time, but I knew that something deep in me felt a responsibility, a greater responsibility um, to defend the faith because I had been an atheist and I knew what it felt like to be on the other side, uh, discussing with Christians, trying to get answers from Christians who could not articulate their faith in Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And so I would read and, and, and I picked up a book by Norman L. Geisler, Dr. Norman L. Geisler, and it was titled, it was with Frank Turek, uh, titled, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. And when I read that book, it named what my ministry and I felt my mission was. I used to have a website. I didn't want to really preach or teach. I didn't like speaking in front of people. And I had a website for three years called Romans10.net. And there I would dialogue with Muslim scholars, um, uh, Catholic priests, a lot of atheists, a lot of agnostics to where I would try to share Christ with them and even had them visit, many of them visit my church. And so um, that's that's where it was bursting, bursting me. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And I know uh, you've it's funny that you um, mentioned that you read a book by uh, Dr. Geisler and now you work with him uh, <laughs> and do. Um, well, I think don't you do some work with him and uh, with the Southern Evangelical Seminary? Yeah, uh, not so much that I work with the Southern Evangelical Seminary, uh, but Dr. Geisler, yes, he is one um, that I begin to follow immediately uh, to train myself in uh, Christian apologetics. And when I started working on my my dissertation and um, project for for my Doctor of Ministry degree, I reached out to Dr. Geisler. I've always been a fan and a student of his, though he did not know it. And as God would have it, we actually connected. I went down to North Carolina, spent time with him, his beautiful wife. Um, I had so much discussions with him in terms of why did he feel there was a a, a lacking of the presence of African-American Christian apologists. And so, um, you know, he set up dinners for me with other apologists. And um, and so he became my Christian apologetics mentor. Uh, now, aside from that, and that's our, that's our relationship. He he is my Christian apologetics mentor. But aside from that, uh, the Southern Evangelical uh, Seminary and their annual conference, which is the largest in the country, uh, the National Conference on Christian Apologetics is held every October. And so. Uh, I have lectured in the last couple of years for that conference, one being the first African-American 
female, but also the first female to lecture to the general population, meaning that the few females that did uh, lecture, they were lecturing for topics that were directly for women or uh, children. And so um, I am intentional uh, to bring every year uh, a focus on you know African-Americans and um, just the need for us to expand outside of how white evangelicals practice Christian apologetics today um, and kind of to, you know, marry the other contexts that are out here. That's awesome. And that, that leads us to our discussion today on contextualizing apologetics. Um, why do you feel like it's important that we contextualize apologetics? It's important because when we look at um, the Great Commission, the commandment, Jesus gives us everything we need to know and the prescription for how to practice what he has left us to do. He entrusted the ministry with those that would follow him and be his disciples. And we're all very familiar with Matthew 28, uh, the 19th and the 20th verse, go make disciples, and I'm paraphrasing, teaching them all that I have taught you, telling them to observe, you know, what you've seen in me, what I've taught with you, my disciples. And one thing that we miss in there is that Jesus says, go and teach and make disciples of all nations. And that is key. That is key because in order to make disciples of all nations, it means that you are going to um, encounter people that are different than you and that the mission to go out and share the gospel is therefore not to be limited to those we are comfortable with having a conversation with, to those who look like us, to those that are just in our backyards or in our immediate uh, geographical locations. But it means that we are to be intentional. And so in being intentional, we and intentional in making disciples of all nations, all contexts, all cultures, it means that we have to understand those that we are also trying to reach, which then means that we cannot be self-consumed. Mm. And so, and you asked the question, why is it important? Well, let's follow Jesus's example. He, everything he practiced was, I mean, the apologetic ministry, he came on the scene uh, very serious about what he believed. And he met people where they were. And if you look at the four accounts, if we look at Mark, if we look at, uh, you know, uh, Matthew, Luke and John, we all know those of us who have been to seminary are very aware that those gospels were written uh, with a persuasiveness to persuade those in the particular contexts to which they wanted to reach. And we have to be the same way. There is, it is impossible for me to uh, discuss physics um, as a way of reaching someone who is um, in a different location and is not even aware of you know, physics or law. If, if they are a drug addict, then how does Christian apologetics help me to minister to where they are in particular? And so it's not just about our context, which I find that a lot of our 
current Christian apologists are operating from, practicing from, it's not just about our context. It's about the context of those we are trying to reach. And we will not reach people if we are not um, engaging with who they are and where they are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. I always say that the the Gospels are a classic case of contextualization and apologetics because they're defending the life of Jesus to different specific contexts. Uh, Matthew for the Jews look for the Gentiles, uh, and so you you see the contextualization even in the gospel gospel writings. So I think that's important that that people understand that point you you brought out. And specifically to our context, the African American context, how does how should apologetics look? And I know there's not a one size fits all even for African American contexts. Um, but I, I, when I posted this, there was a message under that I received of uh, a a guy saying that he he just received the MA in apologetics from a, a very a very uh, prestigious and, and and good program, but it didn't address why was good. It didn't really help him to reach our context. So what specific needs are in our context and, and how do we meet those? That that's, yeah, that's a good question. And it's certainly um, a valid point in, in critique of where apologetics is today in terms of a practice. Uh, it does not take much. I think that Matthew, the 28th chapter 19 and the 20th verse, tells us just how to do that, even in the African-American context. Uh, and, and that is simple. Whatever nation, whatever, and when I say nation, um, I'm referring to context, culture, uh, people, whatever nation you are being called to try to disciple and to make disciples of, you meet them where they are. A lot of our Christian apologetics um, courses, uh, uh, programs, forces us to study Christian apologetics in, um, and I'll just say it like this, um, through the lens of white evangelicals, particularly males. And so one of the things, um, one of the first questions I had for Dr. Geisler is, why is it that even when African Americans are coming and stumbling upon and seeking to practice and learn and incorporate Christian apologetics into their ministries and and uh, education, why is it that they're only um, learning Christian apologetics in the white male evangelical culture? That's what I try to do every year at the national conference is to bring our, our um, context to, to that. I don't think, as you already alluded to, I don't think that there's a one, uh, you know, one set formula all you have to do in any context, African-American, Latino, uh, Asian, whatever context you are in, you have to know the nation that you are trying to reach. You have to know where they are. And then you have to develop a practice of apologetics that will reach them. So for instance, let me give an example. I'll do this like I do with my Christian apologetics um, students. So when I teach Christian apologetics, I have them um, particularly uh, prepare a sermon to m m masses of people that they want to reach. So they have to tell us the context of uh, the people they are trying to reach and, you know, they give us a sermon title, et cetera. So let's say I want to go to Las Vegas and I want to reach the working women of Las Vegas. 
What text would I use? What would my approach be? Well, these are working women who, although they are working, no one can disagree that the effects of prostitution are, um, you know, derogatory to the person's individual self, their self-worth, etc. So I'm not going to go with the gospel and beat them up about where I know they are. What I'm going to do then is probably talk about uh, Rahab. Talk about how uh, where she was, uh, where the Bible uh, talks about how she was a harlot or a prostitute, and how still she gave her life to God. How she sought out God even in that particular profession, and how one doesn't have to stay stuck there. And so, uh, if I had to give any set rules for uh, reaching the African American culture, I would say this: reach the African-American culture, especially as an African-American, we know what it is that we deal with in our communities. And when I teach Christian apologetics, that is what I deal with. I don't get into you know, the other things that most people wouldn't care about in our particular context, in our particular church. I deal with the things that African-Americans face. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's important. And I think it's important that people see such there's so many different things that African Americans face. There's no one size fits all just like uh, in, in white evangelicalism. I think sometimes they're disconnected from other white people in culture because there's no set mold for everyone. So different regions deal with different things. Um, Different classes deal with different things. So it's really being connected to the people. And sometimes I think, apologetics can be kind of an ivory tower discipline in some in some in some regards and when you're in the ivory tower of scholarship you're looking down and disconnected so then nothing you know i i I tell people very often even when dealing with apologetics there's this tendency to quote other apologists and think it's going to make a connection so one of the one of the favorites is c.s lewis People mm-hmm. love to quote C.S. Lewis. But if I'm in an all-black context and, I, and, and nobody knows C.S. Lewis, if I quote C.S. Lewis and, and leave it out there like it's supposed to make some kind of connection, if the, the, the quote is only as good as the, as the connection to the person you're quoting. So if they have no idea who, who he is, me quoting him really has no effect. It might be better for me to quote a movie or an a, a artist that's connected to the the demographic I'm trying to reach, um, and I think that's a part of the contextualization component. What do you What are your thoughts there? Absolutely, I could not agree anymore. Um, again, going back to Matthew 28 verses 19 and 20, there are three words um, that I will say you know are stand out in that in that passage, and the first one is go, the second one is make, the third one is teach. Go, when we say go, it means that those of us that are already disciples or I'll say the Christian uh, apologist is to go. That means that we have to initiate. We can't wait for them to come to us. And if we're going to all nations, it means that they have an established language. They have an established um, culture and we can't force a brand of apologetics on them 
to to your point, such as a, a quote from C.S. Lewis, and it you know it won't reach them because they don't even they're not even aware of C.S. Lewis or what that means. So the first part in going is that we're initiating that um, that relationship to start discipleship, and we cannot initiate a relationship with anybody if we don't know who they are. And then the second part in that passage of scripture is make. Now I know make it sounds. Um, a little strong it sounds a little strong but what it suggests to us is that we are to be intentional we are to be intentional and I find that a lot of our current uh, practitioners of Christian apologetics are not intentional they bring their context onto others when it comes to Christian apologetics instead of entering into the context of the people to reach them where they are um, and the third part teach teach, particularly in our black, uh, you know, African-American churches, we use so many Christianese sayings and, you know, so much jargon that makes no sense, such as, well, he's a wonder in my soul. Well, what, what does that mean? And how, how does that help the person who is asking, why do you put your faith in this one called Jesus Christ? What does that mean? We over-spiritualize everything. But the teaching part um, implies relationship. The teaching part means that we have to be instructional. And so often we just want to throw out cliches. We want to throw out uh, spiritual terms, but we don't want to take the time to walk people through. And that is why, you know, our, our great Christian apologetics have, you know, a, a verse that they stand on, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, right? It's, uh, you know, many different translations for it, but basically that we always, we are to always be prepared to offer um, the reason for our hope to provide a defense, right? Which means that you have to have some dialogue at some time. Mm -hmm. And telling someone he's a wonder in my soul is, is not going to help disciple, you know, someone. It's, it's just not going to happen. And mm -hmm. so everything is laid out for us right there in the scripture, and particularly in that passage. And then I think about the Apostle Paul. One of my favorite passages of scripture is 1 Corinthians, the ninth chapter, the 20th through the 23rd verse. He said, I, unto the Jew, I became as the Jew. Unto the Gentile, I became as a Gentile. Those under the law, above the law, and again, I'm just paraphrasing. And the purpose is so that I may win some, so that some would come to know Christ, which means that we have to step outside of ourselves and not enforce um, a context on others because that's what we're comfortable about, comfortable with, but that we enter into their context to win them. And something that you said uh, just a few minutes ago is that even within the African-American community, I wish people would stop, and I don't want to say it like just lumping us all together um, as if our experiences, our overall experience is the same in terms of um, collectively and as a, as a whole people in relations to others and even how we came to this country and all of that. But to even assume that uh, all African-Americans um, have the same context is, is a dissatisfaction to what, you know, we're, we're trying to do here. And yeah. so for 
I'll give an example really quick. Um, I, I pastor um, in an area, um, it's predominantly white in the area. And uh, although uh, my congregation itself is culturally diverse, um, uh, you know, African-Americans, Nigerians, Trinidadians, uh, Jamaicans, etc., I cannot lump them all together. That's number one. Number two, they are used to a more suburban lifestyle. I am from a very urban background. And so it took me to adjust some because some of the language I would use when I came, I would joke with them and say, well, y'all know y'all called a pastor from the hood, you know? And so, um, but I, I understood that some of the ways uh, that I would talk with others, it just kind of went over their head. And I learned then that although I'm black and you guys are black, um, it, it's, it, our contexts are a bit different, a bit different. And mm -hmm. I had to adjust for that reason. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think it's important. I, I always say, um, and I mentioned this when on my conversation with Dr. McMickle, because uh, he has the book Preaching to the Black Middle Class, um, that I think is so helpful because I was raised in a middle class background. So there's an assumption when 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 I'm in these spaces, evangelical spaces, that I could be the spokesperson for how to engage the inner city. And then there's so many there's so many things that come with that because it's like, well, with gentrification, how do we define the inner city? Because the inner cities of many cities aren't what you would deem as inner city with Whole Foods and, and uh, Trader Joe's and things coming in and uh, Soul Cycle is is taking over. So what does that? There's the component of what do the inner cities look like with gentrification? Um, that's one component. But the fact that I was always in the suburbs. That's how I was raised. So mm -hmm. I can't really be the spokesperson on how to connect with inner city because essentially they're meaning black poor. You know what I'm saying? That's essentially what they're saying when they make that statement. Um, and it's like, well, I, I don't think I'm necessarily the best person to connect with, but because you see the color of my skin, that's the only way you're able to identify me, uh, which is which is very problematic. Um, so I see it all the time with people not knowing that they're just like there are different classes of white people. There are different classes of black people. And you can't make just because one person is is black doesn't mean they have the answer for every problem in the black community. Um, and I think that's one of the biggest obstacles we have to overcome as as black apologists um, in interacting in contexts that sometimes kind of pigeonhole us and paint with the broad brush. Yes, a a absolutely. I met um, the first black male apologist that I met uh, is also a pastor. And when, you know, I was so fascinated and was looking so forward to dialoguing with him. And when I did, and I was asking him about how, how he has introduced uh, Christian apologetics to his congregation and all, uh, when he began to tell me how he had done that, it was as if he was a white evangelical male. <laughs> and I said, well, is your congregation predominantly African-American? Because I also knew that he pastored, uh, you know, somewhere between urban and suburban. So, <laughs> so all of that to say, um, a lot of the, 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 pioneers that are African-American Christian apologists, um, again, they take on the, the very same practice of apologetics without thinking of their context. 
without thinking of their context. And that 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 does no good. It's we don't we don't have to ask so to the gentleman, to the person that would ask, how do we take Christian apologetics and um, make it in a way that it is relatable to Christian to African Americans? Observe what is there. Observe the context. But can I tell you what's really behind that question? And what's behind that question is when I or a person think of Christian apologetics, what we see is the white male evangelical face. So not even realizing that when we ask, how can I bring Christian apologetics into the African-American context, that what we're really suggesting is that they have a lock on what Christian apologetics is. Mm, and it seems it. that way because when you go to a research Christian apologetics, if you've heard Christian apologetics is the way to make stronger disciples, it is a biblical mandate, and you look and you see just those representations of Christian apologetics, you think that it is a white male evangelical field, and it is not. So part of, our, of us, the work that we're doing in getting the word out to others is to help our African-American churches and our context to see that Christian apologetics is a biblical mandate mm-hmm. to every Christian. And they and there's no special formula. It's right there in the Bible. It starts with the gospel writers themselves. In fact, let's take it further. We have Jesus who came certainly, um, again, he met people where they were, all right, with the word. He, he stood on his, his, his scripture. He stood on what he believed. And you have the four gospel writers. But then every single writer, every prophet, every apostle, every teacher, every preacher of the New Testament was also practicing apologetics. How do we know? Because they didn't just stand up and preach and teach the gospel. They always offered an explanation to whatever was going on in their immediate context. So if it was a problem with the Gnostics, they dealt with that. If it was a problem, let's say uh, the the letter, the epistle to the Corinthians, if it was um, promiscuity, if it was uh, idolizing pagan gods, whatever it was, you saw the practitioners in the New Testament dealing with that. And that is what uh, contextual uh, uh, contextualizing apologetics is all about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. What what else would you add to the conversation about contextualizing apologetics that we haven't already mentioned? What else would I add? That's a hard question. I think <laughs> <laughs> we covered it. We covered, I think we covered about everything. But I, uh, I, 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 yeah, I would encourage um, you know all Christian education leaders, um, all pastors, all people who have any sphere of influence to please get past uh, the face that. Um, is currently um, out there representing Christian apologetics and really uh, get to the biblical roots of the practice of apologetics and start incorporating it in our seminaries, in our um, 
churches and our ministries and whatever area of Christian influence that we have, because it is about fostering deeper discipleship. The reason why we are not, I firmly believe, the reason why we are not making disciples as uh, the earlier church once did is because the current disciples are not um, standing in the conviction that the early church had. And so it's twofold. The first part is that we need to strengthen the disciples that are already in existence. We need them to feel confident in what they believe and know that they have the truth and then also be able to articulate that to share with someone. As 1 Peter 15 says, share with someone why you believe in Christ. You don't have to be a biblical scholar. You don't have to be able to quote every single scripture, but we should be able to articulate that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that's helpful with, with seeing you. One of the questions that I meant to ask, that this will be my final one, is in black churches, one of the things that I appreciate about what you do is that you're passionate about uh, the black church and, and I'm passionate about the black church. Um, and, and so you're able to operate in different spheres. So like I said, you, you were at the Southern Evangelical Seminary Apologetics Conference, but you're also speaking at uh, Pastor Ralph West's uh, Issachar Conference. So you're able to operate in the conservative evangelical space and the black church world, uh, which not a lot of people are able to fluctuate back and forth. Um, how do you think that we can serve and get the larger black church. Uh, I know there's no necessarily black church, uh, but they're black, predominantly black churches interested in, in apologetics. Well, um, you know, like anything, awareness is key. The work that you're doing, the work that I'm doing, the work that others are doing, um, just going, I remember before I, um, may have been compensated for it, I would freely go to churches and say, listen, I'll do a three-day uh, course on Christian apologetics. So being able to offer that um, because I was so serious about it. And here's what I found. This is no exaggeration. Every single church, every single school, every single state convention, even the National Baptist Convention, like I said, I've taught for, Christian apologists wrote for, every time I've had the opportunity to introduce the need for Christian apologetics in the African-American context, they have continued with the work. So it shows us that once it's introduced, they see the need and they continue with it. So right now, the most important thing is, is awareness for us to have these kind of conversations and, um, and help people to see that it, it needs to be in their context. But half of your question also uh, was related to reaching other people. Because I don't believe that we are, we're set, while we may focus on the African American church or whatever other context one of us may be in, particularly people like yourself and, and me who are doing this work, we need to be able to reach other people, other contexts as well. So, to give you an example, for the last two years at uh, Southern Evangelical Seminary for the National Conference on Christian Apologetics, I uh, my topic was an apologetic answer for the unrest of racism. Mm. And the, yeah, the audience was predominantly white male 
evangelicals. But I didn't go in there with um, my own context. I thought about the context that I'm entering in. And in particular, I had a lot of police officers because of things that were going on last year at that time during October. Um, I had a lot of police, white male, white female police officers in that class. Now, I was not prepared for that, but I knew that the audience would be predominantly white male evangelicals. And so I spoke about how they can um, help bridge the gap where they are. And so it's just about entering into the context of the people that you are trying to help uh, disciple to then go on and disciples others. And Dr. Geisler actually sat in, I couldn't believe it, he sat in my oh, my entire uh, class um, last year. And I'm glad I didn't know he was there at the beginning because <laughs> I was so nervous. <laughs> yes, I bet that was nerve-wracking. Uh, but it the- was rewarding. It was rewarding, and I had so many say, you know, well, we didn't think of it like that. Very emotional, um, you know, responses, a lot of dedication to uh, bridge the gap and do the work. Uh, Because one of the things I said, if you are, if you're even a white male and you're a true Christian apologist, which means that your primary focus is the glory of God and making disciples, you cannot therefore um, operate in racism And if you have people as being a true Christian and a true Christian apologist, if you have people around you that are um, suffering from racism, then you have to be the one to disciple them, to help them to see that as a Christian, we cannot love, say that we love God and hate another person, nor think that we are uh, superior morally, uh, biologically. we may have lost her on the uh, recording. Um, try to get her back. Um, but this has been another episode of the Jude 3 Project podcast. I'm sorry we didn't get to finish with Dr. Credit. I think her uh, she might have lost connection on her end. But thank you uh, for tuning in to another episode. And you can uh, follow Dr. Credit on Facebook by searching her and she's also on Twitter um, and I'll include uh, her Twitter handle in the details. Remember to know what you believe and why you believe it. Well, thank you for listening to another episode of the Jude 3 Project podcast. As always, you can catch all our past episodes at www.jude3project.com or you can subscribe on iTunes and Google Play by searching the Jude 3 Project. You can also get better equipped with our Bible engagement app by searching the App Store, Google Play, or Apple App Store by searching the Jude 3 Project, and that will help you better engage Scripture on a daily basis. If you would like to donate to the Jude 3 Project, go to jude3project.com and hit the Donate tab. In addition, you can follow us on, in, on social media by searching at Jude 3 Project on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and YouTube. Remember, here at the Jude 3 Project, we're helping you to know what you believe and why you believe it.